Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Acts 13, 13 to 52. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul mentioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He would do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God had brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? Am I not the one you are looking for? But there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Through they, through, though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. There are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, You will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to attain under the law of Moses. Take care that, that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wander and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. 
as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. This is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a life for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That was my son who was super excited that he just got a new box of Lego. Because um, that's exactly the last thing, that's exactly what he needs when we've got a million bits of Lego all over the house already, um, just to add to the collection. Um, if I haven't met you before, I'm Simon. I'm the lead pastor here at City Light Church. North Adelaide. Um, it's really nice to see you. If we haven't met, I'd love to catch up with you um, after tonight, um, just to meet you. And to, um, but you don't have to just you know find out about church through me. Uh, that you can find out through the person who's sitting around and amongst you. Um, apologies if I'm a bit crusty tonight. That's because I'm crusty. I'm a bit sick, um, and so I hope I can make it through um, tonight. But uh, we're in this series. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time tonight, we're looking at the book of Acts. Um, Acts is in the second half of the Bible, which is the New Testament. Um, so we're talking about a time in history where uh, Jesus has come, he's died, he's risen again, he's ascended to the right hand of God, he's poured out his spirit, and the church is being formed. And so we're following the, the life of the early church as the good news of Jesus kind of spreads or begins to spread uh, to the ends of the earth. Um, hopefully you've got that passage open in front of you, Acts chapter 13, uh, verses 13 through 52. That's where we're going to be sort of hanging for most of tonight. Um, love you to follow along with me, um, keep me accountable, um, and uh, that would be great. But I'm going to pray, and we're going to open up God's Word. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, by your Spirit, speak to us tonight. Take the words of your word, of this text before us, and drive it into our hearts, that we, Father, might know your great love for us, know who Jesus is better, and live for him with greater devotion and a greater love. And we ask this in Jesus' name, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. There's a photo of a guy coming up on the screen. Anyone know this guy? Yeah, J.P. Sears. Um, he, he's an interesting character. He uh, kind of runs a, a YouTube channel, um, and it's, it's kind of satire in many ways. But you know how satire can sometimes really cut to the heart and kind of illuminate a real truth in our society? Um, he's got this um, 
One of, his, one of his channels actually is the Ultra Spiritual Life. And one of the videos you can watch, it goes for about four minutes, on how to be ultra spiritual. Don't like, go there right now and watch it while you know, we're listening to the Word of God, but you can follow it up. Anyway, um, he's really interesting. He begins this little video by saying this, um, a quote, Ultra spiritual has nothing to do with actually being spiritual because no one even knows what that actually is. Being ultra-spiritual, he says, means you just got to look spiritual, yeah? And then he goes and bakes you, the next four minutes, he just takes you through about nine or so ways of how you can look ultra-spiritual. So let me just tell you really briefly what these nine kind of ultra-spiritual things you need to do to look ultra-spiritual. Firstly, he says, you've got to practice competitive spirituality, and which basically means you don't do it overtly, you do it kind of silently, a bit passive-aggressively, but it's all about looking more spiritual than someone else. Um, or noticing that they're not being very spiritual and saying, what a jerk, or something like that. That's kind of what he says. Um, so that's firstly. Um, secondly, talk a lot about your energy, you know, like your chakras or your life force or your vibrations. That's what he says. Um, that's number three. Three, he says, rebel against dogmatic religious terminology by using dogmatic spiritual terminology. Um, it's beautiful, you know, so kind of go heavy, you know, down low on the spiritual, the religious spirituality, but talk up your ultra spirituality. That's the third. Fourthly, he says, say the word namaste a lot. Can you say that with me? Namaste. Yeah, that's, you know, Indian, Hindu, you know. He says, just say namaste as much as you possibly can. Um, and particularly when it doesn't fit, just to kind of look a bit ultra spiritual. That's what he says. Um, fifth, hold eye contact with people for an awkwardly long time. You know, sort of stare them out a bit, then they'll think you're kind of ultra-spiritual. Six, deny your pain because having feelings has nothing to do with being ultra-spiritual. Seven, use an exaggerated light tone of voice when speaking about, like, ultra-spirituality with other ultra-spirituals. It's like an identity badge, right? You've got to kind of look like, you know, it's like claiming who you really are. That's his seventh one. Um, Number eight, do copious amounts of yoga. Yeah, do copious amounts of yoga, even though, this is what you said, even though you have no idea why, how aggressively stretching your body and wearing really expensive Lululemon tights has anything to do with being spiritual. There he goes. Um, and ninthly, reclassify all the ways you are an irresponsible human being under the banner, I'm just a free spirit. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Nine ways how you can be an ultra spiritual. Have you ever met anyone like that, like an ultra spiritual person who kind of talks like that? Are you, are you here tonight and you're one of those people? Welcome if you are. It's great to have you at City Light Church, North Adelaide. I wonder if you've ever met a Christian a little bit like that who's kind of, I don't know, speaks with a spiritual tone or has experiences that you go, wow, I've never had that before. And yet I think I'm a Christian. You know, have you ever had that sort of thing? You know, that people, some people actually call themselves spiritual Christians. They've got this idea, there's a little diagram on the board, where there's this kind of separation between the Word and the Holy Spirit. And there's this spectrum. Um, I was once invited to preach at a church, and uh, I went to church, I preached the sermon, I hung out after church, cup of tea, cup of coffee, talking with people, I was invited back to the, uh, a family's house and they'd invited some other friends around. And as we were chatting there, I was just going, wow, I don't think I've experienced life as a Christian like you. 
the language they were using, the experiences that they'd had kind of made me just feel like I already felt like I'm a pretty dry Christian, conservative, evangelical. I just felt like I was barren, like I hadn't experienced anything. Um, at one stage, I just said, wow, this sounds really exciting and wow, like I've never heard some of this before. I said, I'm just like a humble pastor. I just teach the Bible. This person said, wow, how dry. I mean, I'm a spiritual Christian, they said, and I was like, wow, now you've just completely ruined my life. No, it seemed like we were at the opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, I was this word Christian and they were these spirit Christians on the scale. And it was as if, as if, you know, you're, if you're closer to the word like me, the less spiritual you are, but the, the closer to the Holy Spirit, the more kind of spiritual you are. I got the impression, sitting at that dinner table that day, that I was kind of one of these evangelicals who has lots of head knowledge, but not a lot of heart. Some people sit at this table, you know, like what you're talking about, Simon, sounds like a whole lot of hard work. I just want to go freestyling, be led by the Spirit. Well, this might be describing you tonight. Well, you may have had a similar experience to me where you've got this spectrum, word and the spirit, sort of seemingly at odds. In the words of one Christian scholar, some Christians are big S spirit and little W word. Other Christians are little S spirit and big W word. You know, spirituality that isn't very wordy or word-based faith that isn't really very spiritual. You're probably sitting there going, why are we talking about JPCs and why are you telling me about your bad lunch experience, Jacko? And that's fair. I'm saying all this because when you come to Acts chapter 13, which is where we are in our series, Unstoppable, uh, we come to this church at Antioch, um, Paul and, and Barnabas have come back from their trip to Jerusalem, and there's plenty of Holy Spirit action going on in the book, of, in, in chapter 13. Actually, you could almost say that the, the main player in Acts chapter 13 is the Holy Spirit. Um, Have a look with me, chapter 13, verse 2. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. You know, I'm not sure there's another passage or verse in the Bible which we find out just how kind of personally, how personal the Holy Spirit is and also just how kind of directive the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit says, set apart Barnabas and Saul for me because I've got work for them to do. And so the two of them, if you're following along, verse 4, are sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Off they go to Seleucia, then they go down to Cyprus. Let me take you briefly to the end of the book. Um, Chapter 13, uh, end of the chapter, verse 52. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We start the chapter with the Holy Spirit. We end the chapter with the Holy Spirit. Now, brothers and sisters, friends, tonight, I don't want you to miss this. The Holy Spirit is clearly and powerfully at work. The Holy Spirit has appointed these two, Saul and Barnabas, all the way through. The Holy Spirit has work for them to do. But the fascinating thing I want you to notice is that it is all word work. You know, if you're a dichotomy person, if you're a sliding scale person, if you're at opposite ends of the Christian experience kind of person, note that the work the Holy Spirit has got Saul and Barnabas to do is all about boldly preaching the good news of Jesus, the word of the Lord. Come back if you have your Bible open briefly with me to verses 4 and 5 of chapter 13. Tran opened this up last week. We're just going to scoot through this quickly. Just to, I'll show you what's going on. 
So verses 4 and 5. So being sent out by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Can you see what the work of the Holy Spirit is? It's proclaiming the word of God, the the gospel. In a nutshell, it's preaching Jesus. We'll see this in a minute in some detail what that is. But while Paul and Barnabas travel through the island of Cyprus, they come to Paphos. They're opposed by this guy named Elamas. He's a sorcerer who's worried because his boss, Sergius Paulus, the ruler of the island of Cyprus, he's listening. He's all ears to the gospel. Elamas is trying to stop his boss from hearing about Jesus. And now Saul, who for the first time is named Paul in verse 9, looks at Elymas and by the power of the Holy Spirit calls down blindness on him. Which I think is what a lot of us, right, would like to see more of these days as a sign of the Spirit being at work in the church. You know, maybe a bit of spontaneous, miraculous blindings happening at City Light Church, North Adelaide. We probably want, like, miraculous healings more than blindings, I'm pretty sure. But here's the astonishing point, right? Do you notice the focus of what's going on? When he sees what has happened, Sergius Paulus, the ruler of Cyprus, believes. And here, maybe you know, the big S people would want the passage to say, when he saw the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, he believed. But it doesn't. He's amazed, all right, verse 12, but he's amazed at the teaching of the Lord. The gospel. It's a simple point. He's he's amazed, not at the miraculous sign, but he's amazed at the teaching of the Lord. And he becomes a Christian. It's a point that Paul will write about later into the New Testament as he writes particularly to the church at Ephesus. Um, Oh, not yet, John. Not this, uh, Joseph. The point is, right, um, he writes to the church in Ephesus, the letter of Ephesians, The simple point he makes in Ephesians is that the Holy Spirit is appointed for, empowers people for the teaching of the good news of the Lord Jesus, to the preaching of the gospel. And that's what Sergius Paulus responds to on the island of Cyprus. Let's let's not ever fall into the trap of thinking that the Word and the Spirit are in opposition to each other. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. He's picturing Christians in a, in a spiritual batter, battle, and he says the word of the Lord, the word of the gospel is the Spirit's weapon. He says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, brothers and sisters in Christ, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And here it is. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
You put on the gospel, and as you put on the gospel, here's this offensive weapon that you have called the Word of God. And we see it played out in Acts chapter 13. Sergius Paulus believes on the Lord Jesus Christ because he's amazed at the teaching of the Lord. He's cut to the heart by the sword of the Spirit. Now, at times, right, I, I fall into this trap as well. I'm pretty sure we probably all do at times. We, we think, well, that's, that's just a little bit dull and boring. I want a bit more excitement. I want a bit more miraculous blindings, you know, things like that, to sort of evidence of the, of the work of God. I'd, I'd like to see on Sunday nights at North Adelaide a few more people struck down. You know, then we could go, yes, the Spirit of God is at work here. But for Sergius Paulus, it's, it's the Word of God that's thrilling and exciting which when you look ahead at Paul's preaching in Pisidian Antioch, you might think, well, that doesn't really sound likely that the Word of God could do that. I know as you heard Nick reading our passage tonight, Paul's kind of sermon, you may not have thought, wow, that sounds riveting. That sounds really life-changing. Maybe you thought it was a bit dull, um, a bit hard to follow when it was read out. So come with me, verse 13. Um, Paul and his companions, they sail from Paphos, they arrive at Perga, then by foot they walk up to a place called Pisidian Antioch, and they always go to the Jews first, so they go to the synagogue, they take a seat in the synagogue, there's a reading from the Old Testament, that's pretty much all they had at that time to read from, there's a reading from the law and the prophets, that's closed down, then the synagogue ruler looks around and invites Paul to kind of share a message, exactly what the Holy Spirit wants him to do to talk about the Old Testament, to talk about the Lord. Now, when you look at what Paul says in this sermon that he gives, the first recorded sermon we have of Paul, he's effectively giving a potted history of the Old Testament. From Abraham, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, through slavery in Egypt as God rescues a people from oppression, the book of Exodus, um, the conquest of the promised land through the book of Joshua. He traces out the judges from verses 17 through to 20. We just see Paul talking about salvation history, book by book by book. But the big question is this, what does the Holy Spirit want Paul to teach these people in front of him from the law and the prophets. More pointedly, maybe, what does the Holy Spirit want Paul to say about Jesus? Well, I want to suggest these three things. These three things that the Holy, want, the Holy Spirit wanted want Paul to say, by extension, wants you and I to think about. Is that my phone? Oh, it is too. Sometimes I wake Siri up. Sometimes I'm like, like in the kitchen and I'm talking to someone. Maybe I'm talking to myself. I don't know. And then Siri kind of chimes in. It's a bit scary. Thanks, Liam. Um, here's the three things. Not that Siri needs it. Or maybe she does need to hear these. Three things um, that Paul preaches about that we need to hear. That um, the Old Testament tells us this, a royal history that leads to Jesus. Secondly, that there are these unfulfilled expectations, promises that are fulfilled in Jesus. And thirdly, a not working solution to sin that is fixed permanently by Jesus. I'm not going to work through these three points in particularly great detail. They're also not likely points that you're going to lead with the next time you catch up with friends and family for a burger or a glass of bubbly or anything like that. Um, but they're points that Paul believed were really essential for the audience in front of him. Uh, but the point is that when Paul empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
preaches the word at every single point along the way. It's about Jesus. Check out his first point. He sets the scene with Israel's royal history. From verse 21, he introduces the theme of the kingship, the royal history and lineage that comes through God's people. King Saul, he reigned first king for 40 years. And then David is raised up, a man after God's own heart. And here's the point. From David to Jesus, it's just like a a quick jump. Have a look, verse 23. Chapter 13, verse 23. Of this man's offspring, David, God has brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold me, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. The Old Testament story is a a royal history that leads to the person of Jesus. We find out even though, verse 27, we read that Israel's rulers, when Jesus turned up in Jerusalem, they didn't recognize him, they didn't understand him, just as the prophets had foretold. The Old Testament's a, a story about the kings, which is fulfilled in Jesus, that we find Jesus is the king. The second point, though, we have all these unfulfilled expectations in the Old Testament that find their fulfillment in Jesus, promises that God makes about a coming Messiah, and they're fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Unfulfilled expectations fulfilled by Jesus. And these sort of things happen all the time, right? So earlier in this year, um, July, I took Stella, our eldest, to the Philippines um, to go and do that compassion field experience trip. Um, Stella really loved it, but Sebastian didn't really love it because he didn't get to go. Um, And so one of the things, he's our five-year-old, one of the things we did was we said to Sebastian, okay, you can't go to the Philippines, but we're going to do something different. You can go with mum to Sydney. And he was like, yes, that sounds great. Um, That hasn't actually happened yet. So we've been to the Philippines, we've come back from the Philippines, we've shared about the Philippines. Sebastian and his mum haven't gone to Sydney yet. And Sebastian regularly at times will come up and say, hey, mum, how about that trip to Sydney? You know, you promised, you know, Stella got to go to the Philippines, what about me to Sydney? And we have to say, well, you know, not right yet. If you look at our bank balance, it ain't going to happen anytime soon. Um, It's an unfulfilled expectation, right, of Sebastian. You come to the Old Testament, right, and there's all these promises that God makes, these expectations of what's going to happen, which haven't yet become like fulfilled. So there's this massive promise in the Old Testament of huge significance. Um, Words of King David, right? A promise that is made to David that is never fulfilled, or it seems like it. So Psalm 16, if you go back into the Old Testament, a promise is made to David that didn't make any sense until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul sets it up like this. Have a look, verse 32. Verse 32. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, Psalm 16, you will not let your holy one see corruption. 
Now, when this was revealed to David, David was considered the Holy One of Israel. Um, And it looked like this promise was made to him. And perhaps David could even boast, right? I'm so confident in God. He's revealed this, that, you know, even when his Holy One dies, he won't kind of see decay. The problem? For David, it didn't work. He died, he was buried, his body decayed. It seems right that God maybe has failed to deliver on his promise. But have a look. Keep reading with me. Verse 36. For David, after he'd served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. He died and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Seems like the promise is unfulfilled. But check out verse 37. And see what the Holy Spirit wants us to see from the Old Testament scriptures. There is only one Holy One of God. And if someone turns up who, who doesn't stay dead, if, someone, if there was someone who against all the laws of physics and entropy doesn't just decay like everyone else, then maybe you can be confident that this is the one, the Holy One of God. So verse 37. But he whom God raised up did not see Corruption. Bam! The unfulfilled expectation is suddenly fulfilled in the resurrected person of Jesus. This is what Paul is proclaiming in the power of the Spirit. The Holy One of God, the resurrected one, has come. So Jesus is the the King of kings, the one king to whom all the other kings were pointing, the royal lineage. Jesus is the Holy One of God who fulfills all the unfulfilled expectations. God makes promises and all his promises find their yes in Jesus. Which then leads us to the third point. A not working solution for sin is fixed by Jesus. And this is actually the point actually that gets Paul in a bit of hot water in this moment and will get Paul in a whole lot of hot water down the track. See, the Holy Spirit, as Paul is preaching, wants Israel, God's original people, standing before him on this particular day to see that the law of Moses... The scriptures that they've been reading for ages, the laws that are contained in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You know, if you're looking at those laws, you know, by keeping those laws, if I can keep those laws, then I will be justified, then I'll be righteous, then I'll be right with my Creator. Well, they simply never worked that way. You see, Israel was forever trying to make things right. You know, trying to justify themselves by keeping the rules. But the rules were never designed to fix them. You know, things between them and God, things between us and God, are so profoundly wrong that keeping rules can't fix our relationship. It's, it's tricky to explain, right? You know, if you're not Jewish, you know, this context, probably not many of us come from that background, um, if you're unfamiliar to this. But let me try. Anyone go to the Royal Adelaide Show this year? Anyone? A few nods, a few sheepish hands, like, yep, I ate a dagwood dog, or five, I don't know. Um, here's, a, here's an idea. Here's a, everyone knows what that is, right? Uh, a, um, a red light. Imagine you're at the Royal Adelaide show, you've bought a few show bags, 
Um, you bought a few pot plants because, you know, well, I think about pot plants because I'm a bit older, you know, and, and, uh, and you're walking out, show bags in this hand, you know, um, pot plant over here and a dag or dog sort of in your mouth and you jump into the car and you're driving out and you, you drive out, you can't wait to get home to show everyone, you're like, you know, your birdie beetle show bag or something like that and, and um, you, you run a red light. And as you run that red light, you actually clip a pedestrian and you injure a pedestrian. And you feel terrible, right? And so from that point on, as you drive home, you, you make sure you only ever go through green lights. You know, and you, you meticulously stop at every amber light that comes up. Actually, if you're like the Jews, right, you create laws around the laws such that, you know, so, you know, you now stop even before the light goes kind of amber. And so you kind of invent a new colour. I don't know, I called it gramba, you know, sort of that variation between green and yellowy orange or amber. And you'd stop for that as well. That's how, that's how God's people did it. The problem, the problem with the whole, that whole palaver, right, is you, you've run the red light, you've clipped a pedestrian, you're, you're doing all these things, you're creating more rules and laws. The trouble is, keeping the law like that can't undo, undo what's been done. It doesn't bring forgiveness. All you're doing is moving further and further and further and further away from the scene of the crime and from forgiveness. Now, when the police finally catch up with you, right, for running the red light and clipping the pedestrian, they're not going to kind of pat you on the back for all the green lights you've gone through, are they? They'll want to deal with the red light issue, the heart of the problem. It's how the law of Israel, laws of Israel have always worked. So says Paul, verse 38, chapter 13. Beautiful verse. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers... And sisters, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. They're really important words, those words. Chapter 13, verse 38. Through Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification, a, a making you right with Godness, you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. And that's the thing the Spirit most wanted the people in front of Paul to know. That's the thing the Spirit of God wants you and me to know most tonight. It's the reason why the Spirit is behind the Apostles' proclamation of Jesus is that through Jesus and only through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is found. That only through belief in Jesus can you and I be justified, be right with our Creator again. Something that we could never do on our own, that could never be done before. So let me ask you tonight, what are you, what are you doing with your guilt? How are you dealing with your guilt and shame? Are you just trying to be good? It doesn't work. You do enough good things to get enough distance from the the incident doesn't work. You see, that's the question that the Holy Spirit is deeply and profoundly interested in. What, where are you going to find forgiveness of sins? That's what the Holy Spirit wants to know. And it's because Jesus died for your sins once and for all, and because Jesus was raised to life defying corruption, 
He is the only one qualified to deal with your and my sin. And the Holy Spirit is just pumped about that. He's excited about that. And he wants you to know that. More than that, the Holy Spirit wants us, if you're here tonight and you're a follower of Jesus, to keep spreading that message. To keep proclaiming that good news that through Jesus, the one who was crushed on a cross for our sin and who's triumphantly crushed death once and for all, that all people from every nation can know that. That's what the Holy Spirit wanted Paul and Barnabas to do right back at the beginning of the chapter. You might be here tonight and you might scoff at this. You know, a crucified Jesus resurrected from the dead for the forgiveness of sins. You might scoff at that. Paul would say, that's what the prophets foreshadowed. Verse 41 is a warning. You scoff, he says, to the people of Israel and perish as a result. Meet God unforgiven? Are you willing to try to do that? Acts chapter 13, verse 44. The next Saturday, the whole town turns up because of all this stuff that's been going on. And what are they there to do? They are there to hear the word of the Lord. Exactly what the Holy Spirit wants them to do. Preach the word of the Lord. To proclaim the good news of Jesus. That through faith in the died and again, risen again one, you can be forgiven and free. They do that. The Jews don't like it very much. Or some of the Jews get angry. They're filled with jealousy. They stir up. You know, the crowd, they're abusive, which actually brings Paul and Barnabas to another kind of key turning point in the mission of God. The whole narrative of of Acts has actually been building up to this point. We get a hint of this when Saul changes his name. Saul was a Jewish name, Paul's a Roman name, perfect for him now to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so verse 46 And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning now to the Gentiles, to the nations. I don't know why our Bibles use the word Gentiles. It should just say nations. That's what I think. Um, Anyway, for so the word of the Lord commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the nations, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth, which is where you and I come in. Men and women of the nations, we become the focus now. The word of the Lord, the sword of the Spirit, just goes on and on and on and on and on. It's just unstoppable. And then verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many who were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, But the Jews incited devout women of the high standing and leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. They shook off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. And then we end up where we began. Verse 52. They were filled with joy, the disciples, and also filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me finish by asking you, Where do you stand with the word of the Lord and the Holy Spirit? Especially that the the message of the gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ, which lies at the center of the word of the Lord. 
Where do you stand with teaching of the word of, the, of God with the spotlight on Jesus? Because really, that's, that's at the heart of what we're on about here at City Light Church North Adelaide. We're on about Jesus and that all the pages of Scripture point to Jesus, that on every page of the Bible we see Jesus. Where do you stand with that? I want to say that's, that's not unspiritual. It's the very sword of the Spirit. We're not simply on about here at City Light Church North Adelaide filling people with head knowledge and facts. The Holy Spirit still wants people to hear Jesus and see Jesus and love Jesus. And our role in that is to keep spreading the word of God and seeing people grow and called in to receiving eternal life and forgiveness of sins. We don't teach the word of God here week in, week out. I hope we don't, to make people feel guilty. Or to heap upon people more burdensome laws to kind of follow. We preach here week after week so that we would see Christ and his beauty and majesty and power and forgiveness and mercy. It's all about Jesus. I was going to say right at the beginning, the sermon tonight really has a pretty simple point. The Holy Spirit is given in the book of Acts to encourage and enable and empower men and women, ordinary men and women, just to preach the good news of Jesus. That he is the saviour of the world that everyone everywhere needs. It's pretty much the big idea. In his book, Nearing Home, anyone read this? Billy Graham, one of the last books he wrote um, before he died and went to be with the Lord. Um, He wrote this book um, really reflecting on um, his life in ministry, uh, Billy Graham was a great evangelist, uh, proclaimed the good news all around the world, and many people came to know Jesus and grew to become more like Jesus through his work. Um, in this book, he really is just looking back on some of the lives that have been impacted and turned upside down um, as the gospel has been proclaimed, the word of the Lord and people change in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, he reflects at one stage on that guy on the right, a man named Louis Samperini. Um, Louis Samperini um, spent two and a half years in a prisoner of war camp under the Japanese in World War II. Um, Louis was rescued um, from that camp in 1945. Um, He came home, though, from that experience deeply scarred, very bitter. And for year after year after year after coming back, he would um, suffer from terrible night terrors as a result of his experiences. Um, In 1949 in Los Angeles... His wife took him to a Billy Graham crusade talk. He went begrudgingly, didn't want to go, but he went along anyway. He went a second time, and when he went the second time, he said that he had every intention you know, of walking out at one point, but he stayed there. And then Billy Graham called people on that particular night to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And that night, let me quote Louis Zamperini, he said this, The Holy Spirit gripped gripped my heart and I repented of my sin. I gave my life wholly to the Lord Jesus Christ. In a matter of moments, my life was changed forever. Since that night, I have never had another nightmare about my captivity. The Lord radically transformed me. Praise God. 
Now, ever since, right, Lewis said, you know, Lewis, just through his experience, he was called upon to give talks. He, he was honoured for his bravery and things like that, but he was called to give talks and he'd often share about his experiences of the war. But in that moment as well, he would also talk about how the word of God cut through his heart, how he was cut to the heart by the work of the Holy Spirit as the word of God was proclaimed. You see, it's not word or spirit. It's word and spirit, which is how it is whenever we hear the word of God proclaimed here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. It's why we have a Bible passage read aloud by someone like Nick or one of our MCs. Because as that word is read, that's where the spirit can do its work in changing lives before a punk like me stands up and starts talking about it. I hope that God is able to use some of my words to cut people to the heart as well. It's why we gather around God's word in our discipleship groups. If you're here tonight and you're not part of one of our midweek discipleship groups, can I encourage you to do that? Because we believe that the word of God and the spirit of God are at work together, changing lives, making us more like Jesus. And most especially, I think it's true, right? When maybe we're plucking up the courage at university, in our workplaces, at lunches with our families to to speak about Jesus, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Some of you remember this, right? Right back at the beginning of the book of Acts, just before Jesus is about to ascend to the right hand of God after he's done everything necessary to bring sinners like you and me back to our creator. He says these words, He says, here is why the Spirit is at work. Here is why the Holy Spirit appoints and sends Paul and Barnabas out. Here is why the work that God has got for you and for me. Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why? So you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Spirit-empowered witnesses. Spirit-transformed lives and hearts. Spirit turning our hearts and our lives so that we would live more for Jesus over and over again. And the Holy Spirit taking our trembling words we're sharing with a friend and making them into soul-transforming, life-bringing words where people come to know Jesus. May it be so to us. And may we experience what those first disciples experienced as they did this. Men and women, chapter 13, verse 52, filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me pray. Let me pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Father, we thank you and praise you that your word is good and it reminds us of what you're really on about in this world, bringing men and women from every nation, from anywhere to come to know the Lord Jesus We thank you, Father, for what this passage of Scripture teaches us, that it's your Spirit that takes your Word and changes hearts and minds, that they would love Jesus. So we pray, Father, that you would help us, Father, to continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus as we gather on Sundays, to proclaim the good news of Jesus as we meet midweek, and embolden us by that same Spirit, Father, to share the good news Wherever we find ourselves, Father, at work, at home, at university, Father, that others would come to know 
life-giving work and person of Jesus. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.